If it goes right, it's a slice. If it goes left, it's a hook. If it goes straight, it's a miracle. This is Out of Bounds. If it's happening in the world of golf, we're talking about it. Coverage, debate, discussion, pro golf and local golf. Let's do it. This is Out of Bounds. And here are your hosts, Nate Sharman and Josh Derso. Progress. All right, welcome to a U.S. Open primetime Sunday night edition of Out of Bounds. Josh Derso and Nate Sharman here breaking it all down, uh, reacting to this absolutely huge week in professional golf. We have... A winner, Wyndham Clark, gets an emotional win surviving a pair of bogeys coming down the stretch. Uh, he had an absolutely incredible lag putt on the 72nd hole after several minutes of chaos and delay. Uh, Nate, how incredible was that to see that coming down the stretch? That was just crazy. I mean, Wyndham Clark, wow. He made some absolutely crazy up and downs throughout that back nine. On number nine, he had an incredible up and down from some kind of like the fescue area outside of the bunker. And then on 11, he had a world-class up and down with that little low-cut spinner in there to a couple feet and knocked that in. So we had a really, really good few plays there. And then, like you said, managed a few bogeys, too, as well. But, yes, 29-year-old Wyndham Clark is a major champion. He's your 2023 U.S. Open champion. He now has two wins in the last, we'll, we'll call it, month or so on the PGA Tour. His first two wins, and it looks like Wyndham Clark is here to stay. Moves up to tw- into the top 20 in the world. This is not something we expected from Wyndham Clark right at the beginning of the year, but he is certainly here to stay. The nails on that guy are pretty good because he, there was a star set of leaderboard and one that he could have easily given away throughout that back nine, but he stayed focused and, and eyes on the prize and, and got the victory. Pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. And you just think about the story, uh, obviously losing his mother when he was in college. Um, that was well-documented after his first uh, PGA tour win, just literally a month or month and a half ago. Uh, and then now to get this win in this venue under these circumstances with this leaderboard, uh, we're going to talk about the yep. the top five here in a couple of minutes. But holy cow, to hold off the names that he held off, literally five of pretty much the best golfers in the world is a statement win. And, you know, I think the thing that was most interesting about his his win that's or performance, especially today, was despite missing a couple putts coming down the stretch. Um, his putting was so steady. He just, he uses that longer putter. He doesn't anchor. He actually does kind of the opposite of an anchor where he actually Plus, holds just really, like Ricky Fowler emulates him to a T yeah, really close holds really close to the top handle. Um, it, it's just really interesting and super consistent. Like you said, uh, he hit some absolutely magical wedge shots, uh, around the green, but it was also, it was like the one, two punch of he'd hit, you know, a, a really surprisingly good, a pitch shot from maybe a little a little bit of trouble and then he'd make a four or five footer and he just kept doing that over and over and over again. Yep. Um and by the way, it's something that I, I think didn't really get a ton of uh attention about his game until today. He, <laughs> he absolutely bombs it. He hits the ball. Oh my way. goodness. He hits I ball think he was way. tied with Rory for like the longest carry distance at some point. I think around 318. He yep. hits that cut. They, they say cutters do really well at the U.S. Open. That's kind of always been the the mantra, right? A lefty has never won, by the way, which which is also crazy. But um, just cuts the golf ball and, and just hits it hard. And yeah. it's on, at LACC, it, it's huge too because you can almost kind of hit it all over the map. I mean, these fairways are large, 
I mean, on 18, he hit like a, if you don't remember from last year, Mito Pereira hits that bad drive on 18 at Southern Hills. And then he hits this big old slice on 18, Wyndham Clark does, but he hits it so hard and the fairway's 50 yards wide. So he's able to find the fairway and, and make that really impressive par too. But it's it's just really cool by Wyndham Clark. He never really backed down, right? He hit that driving iron a lot today, but still didn't go away from the driver, hit a huge one on 17, and then kind of missed it on 18, but got away with it. So pretty cool by Wyndham to, to stick with the big stick. And not only that, but uh, you mentioned that that tee shot on 18. When they were showing the shot tracer of it, when he when he hit it live, I literally thought yeah. he hit it off the map. And yeah. Judging by his reaction, which I think was because of the sun, I think the the sun caused him to have a little bit of an odd reaction to to the shot itself, and then to see it basically just cross the entire television screen. It was like, holy crap, what did he just do? And then you yeah. see it come down, land super soft in the fairway, and he's still on the right side of the fairway. Had a great look in, um, but just an incredible weekend for him and a, a statement victory. Um, does he vault himself into discussion of among the best players in the world right now with this win? Um, Sure. I mean, we could talk right. about him. Top 20 in the world. He's, he's shooing for the American Ryder Cup team right now. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, he's sure. If you want to have that conversation, maybe not best players in the world. Sure. But top 20, certainly top top 10. You could maybe even have an argument, right? But um, it's just, I mean, I'll try not to get recency bias too much in my decision here. But um, just, I, I, I just can't say it enough how much nails and stones was on that guy because this leaderboard is just crazy. You know, you look at second place, Rory McIlroy, was, who was a shot to two shots behind all day, didn't really go anywhere, played consistent golf, made a lot of pars, which is something usually in the U.S. Open that can help you a lot. Scotty Scheffler, the number one golfer, number one player in the world. Uh, at seven under par, just a few back. Cameron Smith made a late charge on the back nine to shoot three under there, get himself to six under. Tommy Fleetwood shot 63 today. So there's just names and names on that leaderboard. And and like we said earlier, he just didn't back down at all and, and kept it moving in front. But let's talk about Rory, Josh, um, as we move past Wyndham Clark here. What do you think about Rory's performance today? You know, we, we've talked so much about in the last few weeks, having leads in, in BGA Tour events and not being able to convert them. Did not have the lead today, started one shot away, and then didn't come away with the victory. Uh, where do you think Rory is in terms of his game? He looked so good this week uh, for the first three days. And even today, he looked okay. Just didn't get it done on Sunday. Uh, where do you have him um, in his game? There just weren't a lot of birdies. I know there were I know there were a lot of birdies out there. I know there were guys who who tore up certain parts of the course. But for the guys who were coming down the stretch, there really weren't as many birdies out there on the course. Um I think he's got to look at this weekend as a win. Like to me, he looked the best he'd looked all year right now. So you sure it's not a win. It isn't that major. The drought continues, I guess, as far as that goes, 33 um, ish majors uh, started without a victory. Now I, you know, I don't think that really matters. If he goes and wins the, the open, like we're not going to, we're not going to care that he hadn't won a, a bunch of them, right? We're going to go back right. to talking about how he's basically one of the two best golfers of the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. So he's right there. His game's right there. I'm not worried about it. What what, what do you think? Are you, are you back on the, the bandwagon, so to speak, of his game being back in where it needs to be? Yeah, I don't know where I am with Rory because I really thought that today he would really charge and make a run at the lead. And I he... 
played a little bit conservative to me, I thought. In some spots, I thought he could attack a little bit more. Of course, especially on those greens, as they started to get firmer and firmer throughout the day, hitting the ball close is extremely hard and takes a lot of risk too. So, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple to say you should have been played more aggressively, right? Me sitting here at the table, but um, I'm just kind of surprised because this course in my mind sets up really nice for Rory. You know, you have wide fairways. He hits it so far. You can kind of play where he needs to play. And as I was looking through this week, I'm like, Rory's got a really good chance this week. And then plays really well the first three days. And even today, like I said, played played okay. But I'm just, I don't know what to think about Rory. You know, I don't know if I could call it a win because I I know Rory is the kind of guy that says, you know, I don't need to win golf tournaments to be successful. That's what he's echoed all year in press conferences, right? But at some point, I need him to win another major. I really do. And, and you know, it, it can be it can be a slippery slope, right, with Rory. I know, I know he's been, um, he's going to compete in pretty much over half of them, he's going to be on that first page of the leaderboard, right? Until he ends his career. But I just, I need him to come out with a victory pretty soon here because I, I, I feel like I can't keep giving him a pass. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really feel like it's giving a pass. There's going to be a debate at a later date on the show about how competitive golf is or isn't, or, or how we're actually measuring um, these dry spells that, that the, the elite of uh, professional yeah. golf are experiencing. But um, you know, I, I look at this past weekend and I see another incredible performance out of Scotty Scheffler yeah, showcasing so exactly why he is uh, the best golfer in the world. I, I, I just don't think there's any any arguing it. Uh, yes, John Rahm has a very similar uh, game when they're both on. They can go blow for blow and they can hang with each other. And perhaps they are the two definitive best players in the world. But there is nobody in golf who has played more consistently and just hung around the way Scotty Scheffler has. Right. You know, he's got top tens, I think, in nine of the last 13 majors. That is just, yep. I mean, incredible. That is consistency over a span of essentially three years. That is impressive. And it um, seems like he's finished, figured out the putter too, because he did putt better this week with, with that new putter. Definitely did. Definitely did. And, you know, I think it's also, this weekend, I think, was a bit of an odd kind of. I I don't know that you can necessarily look at like oh how you putt in uh, in a U.S. Open versus how you putt in normal elevated events and say you know the stats marry up and and right. everything Great. is like a clean comparison, not necessarily apples to apples. Um, you know what about Ricky Fowler? Yeah. Because that is where I'm kind of. I don't know if say I'm not struggling, but I just. I'm not sure how to feel after today. What what do you feel like watching him play today? He finishes five under. I uh, finishes T five, which you know, if we just said a year ago that Ricky Fowler was going to finish T five at the 2023 U.S. Open, we both would have been like, "Hey, that's friggin' right. awesome." But we had higher expectations than that. So what what do you think, and what are you feeling right now with that? Let's talk about the good. Incredible this season. Which Harmon switch and make some changes before the year. So that's just pretty incredible. Ficky. He goes out on Thursday, shoots two. First six to ever at the US Open. Josh, they've been playing this tournament for 125 years. 
Yeah. And Dennis Shaw also shoots 62 the same day. So 62s were fired on Thursday. Ricky Fowler then caught back on, on Saturday. It's another record. So he, he was automatic those first two days. Like he'd face a putt that didn't go in for him. And then today, it kind of maybe, if you believe in the golf gods, caught up to him a little bit. I didn't yeah. necessarily think he played too bad. There were some times where he had some poor shots and execution issues. But a couple times he made some good putts and they just didn't drop for him. Goes out and shoots 75. But yeah, it's positive at the end of the day for Ricky. Back back to competing in majors. The only problem is one of his better chances to get that elusive first major right in his career um, for the first time. And I hope to say, I really want to be able to say that he's going to have another good chance like this, but I'm scared because that clock ticker quicker, you know, at, at his age. So, I mean, he's going to have a lot more chances to do it, especially if he's playing like how he's playing, but it's just awesome to see Ricky Fowler in that Sunday orange too. He's certainly a crowd favorite out there. And um, I'm not even the biggest Ricky fan in the world. I know our old producer, Paul would be, was rooting hard for him today. But um, just having him out there and having him compete makes PGA Tour a better place. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think really he can he can hang. I think he's shown at this point that his game is back to a place where we can expect to see him on the first page of the leaderboard Definitely. more frequently than we have before. Um, and look, the biggest thing that seemed to hold him back um, back in his I guess would we call it his prime was what we saw before Ricky Fowler's prime. Yeah, probably. So what held him back then was kind of what seemed like always being in the shadow of the Rory McIlroy, always being in the shadow of that next big guy that was coming up through. He can fly under the radar. I think that's a big a, a big factor in how he was able to basically just blast out of the gate this this weekend. And come out Thursday firing that 62 because he was flying under the radar. Crowd favorite. Everybody loves him. So he's getting support no matter where he goes. Um, but he's able to come out and actually he's got game to to match it now. So, right. I, you know, I think it's a, a big. Uh, it's something to watch. Will he get a major? Will he not get a major? I don't know. That's a debate for another day. Um, right. But I. I Good weekend for him. I'm not necessarily as down on him as I think a lot of uh, golf commentators will be over the next week with how he played today, because obviously today was a huge departure from what we saw Thursday through Saturday. For clearly. Sure. Uh, so let's get into the golf course. This is the last thing we wanted to talk about tonight. Uh, obviously, there was a ton of debate about uh, how LACC was set up, what the vibe was like on on uh, course. Did it live up to expectations? Yes or no? For me, no. Um, I'll, all the stuff I heard this week is that this course, you know, will eat you alive. And I, and I think it did over the course of Friday, Saturday and Sunday. But Thursday was wild. The, the wind kind of sat down a little bit. Horse was a little bit soft. And like we said earlier, we saw two 62s. We've never seen a 62 before in the U.S. Open. So I, I think that gave everyone a little bit of sour taste in their mouth. I mean, look at they started at eight under, right? The leaders and Wyndham Clark finished at 10 under. So you could tell that the course just got so much harder over the next three days, which is something that the USJ definitely wanted to do. And I think that was I think that's part of their plan, too, Josh. I think they wanted to be a little bit easier on Thursday. And um, of course, weather is a factor too. So I think if you were to ask them, they kind of kind of went to as planned for them. 
which which yeah. I think is okay at the end of the day for sure. But what I more had a problem with is Los Angeles Country Club as a whole, right? Um, if you don't know Los Angeles Country Club, it's a very, very, very exclusive club. It, in my opinion, it rivals Augusta in terms of ex- in terms of uh, exclusivity. It has Hugh Hefner, or Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion, formerly Hugh Hefner, anyways, Playboy Mansion on the the, the grounds. Lionel Richie lives there too, as well. So it's it's really interesting in that regard, but. Just the fan interaction, really, I have a problem with, too, because they're so cushy in their ways that they don't even really let a lot of fans out there. They limited grand or general admission tickets and, and, and stuff like that in this event, too, only letting people in hospitality events tents come in instead of being kind of the, your GA warriors, right? Which I thought was really interesting and, and kind of made for sort of a dull atmosphere, Josh, in my opinion. Did you kind of have that feeling, too? Yeah, I I think the atmosphere was the big miss for this this one. Obviously, uh, it's a major. You want that electricity. You want you know tens of thousands of people throughout the the week uh, moving through the venue. Uh, you want those big reactions. We really didn't get a lot of those big reactions. Even coming down the stretch, um, you know, like on eighteen, they they basically allowed everybody who was. Uh, around or on the 18th hole to sort of fill the fairway leading up to the green to try and create something, but it just felt super artificial. And I think it caused more of a distraction than it did anything to really create a a, a moment, so to speak. Didn't distract Wyndham Clark. He made an incredible putt. No. Yeah. And thank God it didn't because just, just think how differently this, you know, we'd be looking at that move. Uh, if it did affect him and his ability to close that out, um, you know, not having the grandstands around the 18th. Yeah, I think it's just another, you know, I think these venues that are chosen by the USGA need to do something to allow for the golf tournament to be a golf tournament, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not your country club for those five or six days that the the USGA is actually on the grounds and you're hosting the US Open, it is not your country club anymore. And it needs to be basically as close to a, a public venue as, as it possibly could be. You know, we saw the the numbers, I think um, Dan Rappaport from Barstool tweeted out the numbers and, you know, you're, you're talking about between 4,500 and 9,000 uh, general admission uh, tickets per day. I mean, we were just at the PGA Championship a month ago, and I bet there were at least twice that every single day. Yeah, they said there was about forty thousand total last year at Oakmont, or a couple of years ago. Anyway, last year at Brookline, excuse me. Which I mean, that that's not all forty that forty thousand number is not the GA number that we were just talking about. But yeah, right. the double double number is 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 a fair assumption in my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's just a and the problem there is the viewing angles and the on site. Uh, experience was challenged enough as it was because of the way the course is actually laid out. Then you combine that with probably 50% of what you would normally have there in terms of bodies on the ground. And you're left with, you know, those moments we had yesterday where you and I are texting back and forth talking about how aggravating it is listening to guys make incredible putts to silence. Yeah. Like it's just, it creates the worst experience you can possibly imagine. I understand. Um, I think there were some, you know, 
I, I think the USGA admitted to a certain degree that there were some corporate uh, there was some corporate play, uh, you know, in the I don't even know what you want to call it. Basically, in the field of of decision with that, but it doesn't matter. None of that should matter. It should be about the experience, and it should be about how that experience translates to television. And when you have that few people uh, on site it creates a lousy television experience, which forget about the broadcast issues, just talking about how fans are interacting with the play that's happening on the course, just not good. Yeah, and you, then you had two prominent players come out in in negative about the about the environment. You have your yeah. 20, 2021 US Open champion, Matt Fitzpatrick, an interview after, say the words, it's very poor. He said the environment around around the golf course is very poor and and where fans are able to go and how many of them too. And then you had Max Homa, who was an LA guy, grew up there and represents the area very well, speak about the first tee a little bit and say how the, the tee box is near the near um the clubhouse and this place is so cushy that they don't re- let people near the clubhouse. Yeah. So you have a first tee environment. That's not really raucous. I mean, we were on the first tee for a little bit of where people are coming out during the PGA Championship, and Brooks Kepka walks out, and the place is on fire, right? Yep. You know, for Brooks Kepka trying to win that PGA Championship. And I remember watching Ricky and Ricky and Wyndham Clark come out today, and Ricky was kind of shaking hands with people, and there really wasn't a lot of like screaming and yelling and and laughing and stuff like that. So I think that is a problem for the USGA. If you have your former champion and Max Homa speaking out against your products, should they go back? They are 2039. I know they are, but should they go back? Um, if you could make the decision, uh, if you could cross them off the list, would you cross them off the list? Yeah, I'd put Oak Hill and Rochester in that 2039 slot. Oh, I love that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the harsh reality is that money talks, right? We've, we've seen yeah. that in the PGA Tour in the last week. Oh, yeah. um, corporate, corporate sponsors have a ton of money. And they're going to kind of dictate the the where the, what happens to in the in the future of golf, especially with so much money coming in from the Saudis too over the last week. So I think at the end of the day, it's it's up for debate for us to talk about. But at the end of the day, it's already decided, and that's how it's going to be. Yeah, and another piece that was I'll say it's kind of connected to the the course. Obviously, they're playing in L.A., so everything is pushed a little later. Uh, clearly, the USGA and the powers to be wanted to push for the primetime slots. Uh, on TV. So we saw weekend tea times, the final group going off around 6.30, 6.40 on Saturday, and then 5.20, 5.30-ish today. Now we're recording a podcast at 10.30 p.m. on a Sunday night. Um, that to me is something that just can't happen. We saw Wyndham Clark, um, Ricky Fowler. We saw a bunch of guys talk about that who were coming in at the end yesterday saying we can't be playing in the dark. We basically played our last three holes in the dark. Um, You know, that is just another piece of this, that if you're going to make the play for more money, you need to figure out another way to do it. That doesn't actually create these bizarre scenarios. Like, you know, your final group on Saturday playing the final two or three holes in relative darkness, even though you can't tell on TV. Right. I mean, today, today I'm kind of okay with it. Two thirty local time for the, the final tea time is okay. Um, I mean, sure for us East Coasters, it might not be perfect, right? And it does kind of unfortunate that it ends at ten for people that have to work, especially on Monday morning. Too, you do have a holiday on Monday, so you have some people not in the office. But um, Saturday, just yeah, it can't really happen, especially with the marine layer that they talk so much about, making everything so much darker, right? 
Yep. I mean, going down 18, it looks dark on TV. And they always say that if it looks dark on TV, it's it's a lot darker in person. And it was really interesting to me that Wyndham said that and he even said that about Ricky's bogey too, right on 18. Yeah. Then yeah. why doesn't Ricky take his shades off? He's got them on. He's got his shades on in the dark. He yeah. did not take his sunglasses off on Saturday during that final hole. So it looked even darker to him if I had to guess. But just some food for thought there. But I don't think they'll do that again in 2039. I won't. We won't see tee times at 6.40 Eastern time. Thank God. All right. Hey, that's going to do it for this edition of Out of Bounds. We will be back on Wednesday. We're going to be previewing the Travelers. Uh, until then, follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're going to have more content from this past weekend. We'll have the latest golf news. We'll have new episodes of the podcast and plenty more. Uh, remember, whether it's down the middle or out of bounds, keep on swinging. You've been listening to Out of Bounds. If it's coverage, debate, or discussion of pro and local golf, we'll be talking about it. Be sure to visit the website. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. See you next time on Out of Bounds. Out of Bounds.